Welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, a Game of Thrones and a Song of Ice and Fire podcast with heavy leanings towards our two favorite characters, Jamie and Brienne. Man, there was a bear bear, all black and brown and covered in hair. Hello, I'm Lot, Lady of Tarth, hyphen posts. I'm joined tonight with Kama. Hi, this is Kama, and you can find me at Grammar Saves Lives on Tumblr. YD. Hi, this is YD, and you can find me at Yellow Delaney on Tumblr. Chicky. Hey, this is Chicky. I am Chikrin on Tumblr. And our returning guest, Dramas. Hi, this is Dramas, and you can find me at I Hot Dramas. I. <laughs> Oh, I messed that up. How do you type? How do you spell that? <laughs> There's no hyphen in there. Only drama. No, I heart dramas all in one word at Tumblr. Perfect. <laughs> Great. Okay, so um, we are covering Game of Thrones season two, episode nine. Um, just a warning for everybody, there will be spoiler discussion, and also there is quite a bit of rape discussion in this episode, so just a heads up on that. Um, we open up with a rush of water and a ship with Davos at the helm. Um, Stannis' fleet is behind him, and on one of those ships we see a very pleased-looking Stannis. The men below decks, they don't look so good. Um, it's a little bit Yay! rough. <laughs> Yay! What are we trying for, the vomiting? <laughs> Oh, yeah. The communal yeah, vomit bucket? They've got a communal oh, vomit bucket. <laughs> that was Dennis. way gross. Oh. Men are weak. Weak. Exactly. I, I, I'm sensing we have some Stannis <laughs> fans on the win. panel tonight. <laughs> okay, so. The, the Stannis stands are out, man. Holy mm-hmm. heck. It's like we recruited them for this up or something. Okay, so Davis is with his son, uh, Mathos. Um, we learned their ships are out, they outnumber those at King's Landing 10 to 1, and their soldiers 5 to 1. Davis tells his son, the people of King La- King's Landing will not see them as liberators. Yeah, I think this should go over well. They're, they got the numbers, right guys? I have a good feeling about this. <laughs> yeah, they can do it. Okay. Uh, inside, we get this little brief scene with uh, Tyrion um, with Shay in King's Landing, and uh, she asks if he is afraid. He's a Lannister. He's pretty much a dead man if Stannis, is, Stannis gets through. And then Shay comforts Tyrion in her own special way. It's a short little scene. <laughs> I don't get it. What do you mean? She, you know, she fellates him or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it is kind of sweet, the kind of couplish feeling in this. It's not just a couple of people in bed. Like, this is very much a scene of, of, of a couple. And mm-hmm. even though that's a little weird for book readers, I mean, if you embrace the show, Shay Tyrion dynamic, it's actually kind of a sweet scene. Mm-hmm. It is. It reads as two people who are very much in love, really. And Shay's just so devoted to him. You know, she could play the city, but she won't because she loves him and she's going to protect him. Which, yeah, pretty much makes her betrayal at the end so much worse. But yeah. Let's just, oh gosh. Let's just embrace the Woman show. Woman scorned. Woman scorned. I thought, <laughs> mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting because uh, in the first scene, you've got Mathos who's like, uh, I don't know, he's like the poster child for Naive Tay, and then Shay's pretty, 
pretty clueless too about, you know, just what this means, it seems. Yeah, it's interesting. It's sort of an episode where we have pairings, where we have one as a sort of pragmatist and one as a more idealistic character. Yeah. Like we have Davos City's son, we've got Tyrion and Shay, and then further along we have Cersei and, and Sansa. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Shay is a bit of a contradiction with uh, in herself with this episode. Like, we have her, you know, basically saying she's not going to let them get to Tyrion. But then later on, we see her in, I guess it's the Baden vault that they're in with all the women with Cersei. And she's got Mega's that. Yeah. And yeah, she's got that. Yeah. She's got that knife attached to her calf. So there she's like a bit more street smart. I don't know. <laughs> she's very contradictory. Yeah, she's, she's, she is. Yeah, she's kind of a combination, I guess. She's got the street smarts, but she's also very young still. Not as young as in the books. Mm. All right. Um, so the next scene we have Pycelle with Cersei. Um, Pycelle has brought Cersei Nightshade. Um, it's poisonous, you know, if given ten drops. And, uh, so this is just in case things go <laughs> south a little. It seems like a pretty slim margin for error. Like one drop in your palm, three drops in your sleep, ten drops and you're dead. <laughs> so be careful that your hand doesn't shake. <laughs> yeah, right. Don't look away. <laughs> Six if you've just had a bad week. (laughs) It's going to be a really bad week if you put those extra couple of drops in. I I just really liked how Pycelle was trying to be like giving Cersei his words of wisdom and Cersei's like, yeah, yeah, get the hell out of here. Just give me the poison. So beautifully dismissive. He can't get no respect. Go ahead, Kama. Nope. Is this like the first instance of her like really hating this man? I mean, because it it comes through pretty clearly that she's just got no use for him whatsoever, other than as a purveyor of drugs. I'm trying to think. Mm. Back. Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, obviously, I think she's always felt kind of disdainful towards him as she but, I mean, towards everyone. But yeah, overtly, I'm not sure. Blatant, like yeah. she's got no use for this guy. Is doddering old fool since he was taken to the black cells. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, let's go on to Braun. He's with a bunch of other Lannister soldiers, um, drinking and singing the reigns of Castamere. Um, there's a whore on his lap. She asks him how many times he's broken his nose, and uh, Braun tells her his tale as he undresses her, and then we see some boobies. <laughs> it's uh, general <laughs> merriment, <laughs> and that no. is... Oh, it's what's that? Oh, no, I was just going to say it was fun getting to see Jerome Flynn uh, sing a little bit because <laughs> he is actually a singer. And I was, t- <laughs> I got onto his Wikipedia page the other day. Oh, yeah. I did not know that he was actually part of a singing duo um, with Robson Green, who is another yep. um, English actor. And I actually had several number one singles in the UK Shut in the 90s. Up. I got a yeah. big looks, looks totally different. Like... Blonde mm. and everything, and very eighties <laughs> oh, Don Johnsons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, apparently the story was that um, Jerome was acting in a, a British TV series alongside Robson Green, um, and the two actually had to perform. A, I think it was a version of Unchained Melody on the show. And apparently, wow. after that episode aired, the network was inundated with calls from viewers who wanted to know where they could buy the song. So Simon Cowell came along and actually convinced them to sign with him. And, yeah, they ended up going on to, to release several number one singles in the UK. What? Yeah. And there's your so Jerome thank, thank you, Flynn. Wikipedia. <laughs> I was going to say, there's your Jerome Flynn, mo- Flynn moment with uh, the president of the fan club, YD. <laughs> I thought, 
Are you a president of the fan club, of the Bronn fan club? <laughs> I like him well enough, but man, that was a lot of extra research. I loved it, though. That was great. <laughs> yeah, that, those two minutes on Wikipedia were well spent. Hey, I've seen videos, man. Yeah, I've watched them. Come on, come and see some stuff, you guys. I'll be, I'll be. I really could have done without the obligatory naked whore scene. I mean, I was just like, okay, you have this interesting thing, and then you got to do this whole bit with the chick and the extremely unfunctional underwear, what, because they can't have her totally naked? <laughs> mm-hmm. But it's Ugh. so gratuitous the way that she's yeah. completely faced toward the camera, which yeah. is not yep. a natural way to sit. Nope. Sit. Yep. It's just like, it's... you know, you have this beautiful episode, and this is a really spectacular episode of any television show, and especially for Game of Thrones. And, and then they have this show. To mar it with this is just yeah. silly. This is really <laughs> the only scene that I had had a, any sort of real issue with. Um, and interestingly enough, uh, in the commentary with George, uh, he did make a point of saying this isn't in the books, and also this was written. This scene was written by David and Dan, not by me. <laughs> <laughs> he's probably, like, he's oh, probably not he's enough probably city. We gotta get it because in of there. the interaction. Mm-hmm. He's probably more upset about the characters interacting than he is the boobs. Like <laughs> George. Uh, I just uh, all right. Let's move away from I the boobs. The interaction. I actually love this scene. I think it's a great scene. It is. It's a, it's a really good, I mean, you know, for this, this is one of the things that the show can do that the books don't do. And I mean, you know, it's really cool yeah. to see characters like this interact. And I feel like this probably is about how this sort of interaction would go down. So it's actually pretty good. <laughs> George did actually spend some time discussing who would win in a fight, Bron or the Hound. Did he? Who did, who did he, he think? He I didn't, suppose. well, he didn't actually come to any sort of conclusion. Of course. <laughs> so we, sh- we are left. We, sh- we should mention that. Uh, <laughs> so the hound does come in, um, and this is when Bron tries to buy him a round of drinks. He's already trying to defuse the situation because you can see the hound is looking for a fight. Um, yeah, the hound says, "You think you're a hard man?" Bron says, "He know he's he knows he is." Um, and then we get uh, <laughs> this line about him wanting. He wants them to put him into the ground. The hound continues to be a downer. Women get put in the ground too. And killing is the thing you love, just like me. And, uh, Bronn points out he's not only smaller, but quicker too. The hound tells Bronn his lord is going to miss him. So there's going to be a fight breaking out. And then we hear the bells ring, interrupting him. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. Bronn was going for his dagger. Yeah. Sure was. <laughs> Everyone scrambles. Um, Bron asks the hound, one more drink before the war? That's the end of that. Uh, next scene, we have Varys and Tyrion. Um, Tyrion is getting into his armor. Varys hates the bells. They remind him of dead kings and war and uh, weddings as well. Varys asks if Tyrion trusts Pod. He says he does. Varys then gives Tyrion a map of the tunnels built by the Targaryens for an escape if need be. Tyrion will not be fleeing. They talk a bit about Stannis and his red priestess, the magic. Um, Varys tells Tyrion one day he will tell him how he was cut. Varys is not a fan of Stannis sitting on the throne for a man who is in service of the dark arts. He can think of nothing worse. He believes Tyrion is the only one who can stop him. Pod hands Tyrion his axe. And, uh, I don't know. I kind of think Varys has a point. <laughs> yeah, I mean... You go ahead, Connor. I think it's interesting because... And I don't... I have to be honest, I don't remember in the books how this... If this goes down. But what people seem to have, particularly the King's Landing 
people seem to have a big problem with Stannis because there's this notion that he doesn't bend. He's like iron. He's rigid. He's inflexible. He, you know, he doesn't bend. He's going to break, but he won't bend. And they want somebody who will bend. They want a nice, flexible guy who's going to let them do their, you know, their ruling, basically. That's why they don't want him. I don't recall any of this magic business. Um, but again, they've changed a lot of this around, and I, I'm not really sure 100% on that, but uh, I think it's more because know, he's... You think this I don't is... know about that. I think he does have a problem with Melisandre in the books. Doesn't Varys have yes. an issue with the Red Priestess? I think he does. But isn't it more because Stannis is like this, this honorable Other guy people, yeah. who's not going to let them... Mm-hmm. He's not going to be a puppet. He won't be a puppet king. Mm-hmm. And that's who they want. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Varys is kind of like the maesters, though. He has an issue with magic. I think. Am I remembering this right? I don't know. You guys yes. have reread more. No, he does. Well, he does have. Also, oh, you go ahead, dramas. Because remember, um, they even. I, I think he mentions that he. In the next season, they fight fully. For people who have not read the books, next season is when Varys finally tells Tyrion the tale. And I really like how they're setting stuff up from this season that's going to happen in next season with mm-hmm. the bells, Varys mentioning the bells, or you know, and that happens several times with events that are happening in the future. And then Varys with uh, his little, I don't know, his little friendship with Tyrion mm-hmm. and how, you know, it starts and it's give and take and they're, they have some really low points, but then in the end it works out in some strange way. Yeah. Isn't this funny? This is the second episode in a row. I don't know if you listened last week, dramas, but where someone has said that they see some foreshadowing of eventual show events with Tyrion and Varys. And that is interesting. Maybe they were, maybe they did have a lot more in mind then than we really gave them credit for. It's hard to know. <laughs> it's so hard to tell. Like, it is hard to tell. We've asked them I'm so much. Think that that we is the plan. <laughs> I'd Let's yeah, just give it, them this. It's hard to say. No, I, you know what I'll give them? I appreciate that they, they kind of put a historical grounding in this scene with, mm-hmm. with Varys. I mean, you get the sense that he is remembering the last time that King's Landing was that. sacked yeah. Yeah. by, by the illustrious Tywin Lannister. Yeah. But, um, you know, it, it really does kind of harken back to the history that Varys actually has. You know, I mean, it's funny with Conleth Which... Hill, his age is a little bit questionable. You know, is he 40? Is he 60? Hmm. It's hard to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's older than, than you think he is, and he's been around for a couple of kings. i got to say, yeah, Conleth Hill is a damn star. I know we probably say this in every episode that Varys is in, but when he tears up, do you see his face when he was talking to Tyrion about the things that he's seen? You know, he's remembering back to when he was cut, and it's so haunting, and yet you can never tell with Varys just how much is real and how much is him putting on a show for the sake of manipulation. And Conleth Hill takes that takes that characteristic of Varys and just does it so damn well. Like, he can just do so much with his face. I just adore him. He was a yeah. good clue for them to get. Yeah, really was, yeah. yeah. Okay, um, outside, uh, we have Davos and Mathos. Um, they're a bit confused by the bells and the lack of ships to meet them so close to the walls. Um, Davos calls for the drums, men jump up top, weapons in hand. Stannis still looks pleased. <laughs> Tyrion is giving Yay! Bronn. <laughs> it's going so well. Tyrion is giving Bronn orders um, to make sure the ships are all the way in the bay. Uh, 
Bronn tells Tyrion not to get killed, and then there's this bit of back and forth, and it was really good dialogue, so I kind of almost wrote it verbatim. He says, nor you, my friend. And he says, oh, we're friends now. Just because I pay you doesn't diminish our friendship. Enhances it, really. Aww. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's a, such a cool little moment of camaraderie, really. You know, these yeah. guys have, have grown to genuinely like each other, and, and they enjoy each other's company, so... They're kind of like, hey, don't get killed if you can help it. I mean, I don't really care, but. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like, whatever. Yeah, Yeah, it's just a nice little casual, but not really casual scene uh, between two guys who, I don't know, they kind of like each other and they're kind of sharing that one last moment of comfort before the and and that's something that this episode did so well is the the build-up of anticipation battle. You know, like they've got the bells going, they've got the drums going, they've got the outside, you know, the howling wind and the waves, the darkness and the mist and it it all works to instill this real sense of unrest in the viewer and you can you can feel that something big's about to go down but you're not quite sure how it's gonna land. It's something that this episode particularly does really, really well. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, they capture that sense of foreboding. Mm-hmm. But excitement. That bit with the drums. <laughs> when he calls for that, oh, that's such a great audio. That's right, yeah. yeah. Let's play some music with them, right? It's something that George was actually talking about in the commentary that, you know, obviously there is some things, there are some things that the medium of television and film can do better than, than books, obviously. You've got the visual, but you also have the audio. George was sort of talking about how, you know, I can write that the drums start playing, but in the TV show, you can, you know, you hear it and you can hear it continuing throughout the next scene. And it's, yeah, it's, it's just all these things work together to provide this really amazing anticipatory sort of atmosphere. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. you can almost, when you're hearing them, you can almost feel, what if I was in King's right. Island and I was hearing those drums? I would be crapping my pants. Yeah, me going, too. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> in color palette. Drums would be running for the nearest <laughs> gate. She's out of there. Uh, like, I'm out. She's like the hounds. Here I come. Fuck the king's guard. <laughs> yeah. Fuck the king. I'm out of here. Give me wine, Get bitch. Of <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> so Tyrion uh, goes into the throne room um, where he meets, uh, speaks with Sansa, who is with Shayla, or sorry, Shay. <laughs> he calls her Sheila. Shayla's. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Joffrey barks at Sansa to come here. He tells Tyrion she will pray for his... Um, well, Sansa tells Tyrion she'll pray for a safe return, just as she prayed for the kings. Joffrey—it's <laughs> good little dig. Uh, Joffrey asks Sansa to kiss his new blade, Heart Eater, and he says, you'll kiss it again when I return and kiss my uncle's blood. Um, Sansa asks, mm-hmm. asks if he will... Um, slay Stannis himself uh, and uh, she asks will you be out fighting on the vanguard he gets a bit flustered <laughs> Sansa continues to expertly needle him her um, brother always goes where the fighting is the thickest they leave and as soon as they go Shay says some of those boys will never come back and she answers Joffrey will the worst ones always live yeah, Sansa's so great in this scene. Like, I think mm-hmm. we talked about this a little while ago, um, probably in the, maybe the first step or the second step of this season, how despite the fact that she's, she's a captive in King's Landing and she sort of has to toe the line, she has her little moments of being able to get those digs in, um, which, you know, I really like these sort of subtle moments of defiance are kind of the perfect way to show that she hasn't given up. You know, there's that fire still in there. She's still a wolf. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And it's 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 something that I recently reread in the books, this scene, and you do have Sansa sort of thinking to herself how Joffrey's basically treating her like a dog and she really, really hopes he dies, basically. So, yeah, it's <laughs> nice to have that translate to the screen. I kind of... Um, I love World War II movies. I watch a lot of them. And um, the scene really reminds me of, in a lot of those war movies, there's always a scene at the railway station where, you know, the women folk are there to wave their men off to war and, you know, the tearful goodbyes. It just seemed like a kind of a medieval snarky take on that, you know. Mm-hmm. We're going off into battle. We Who knows if we'll be back? And, yeah. God, I women hope are going to get some fires yeah. burning. It sounds just like, yeah, don't come back. Back. <laughs> that is what it's like. That's exactly what it's like. I love this scene. I love Sansa in this scene too. You know, I love that she's got that backbone in there and that she's, you know, she's getting her digs in where she can and she's doing what she can. And that's totally what she's doing playing Joffrey like that. It's perfect. And she so knows how to needle him. That's the best part. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's, it's interesting how she uses the, oh, I'm so stupid. Of course you'll be fighting in the back. <laughs> yeah. And we're all like mentally high fiving Sansa. <laughs> Exactly, and she's not <laughs> stupid, and I'm glad no, they're actually not. showing that. Okay. Because let's, she, let's face it, she certainly has her detractors. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We all anyway. sigh. They don't count. Let's <laughs> move on. Okay, so at the walls of King's Landing, everyone is preparing for the attack. Um, you can hear the drums coming over the water. Uh, Joffrey asks Tyrion, where's our fleet? And uh, there's a bit of back and forth between them. Uh, Joffrey threatens to have t- uh, Tyrion cut in half. And he said, well, I'll be the quarter man. You know, that's not, <laughs> not as impressive. Uh, if he's dead, there will be no signal, no plan, no plan. Stannis gets in and he has this line where he says, he'll put your pinched little head on a sp- on a gate somewhere. And I think the best thing in this scene was Lancel's facial reactions. With, oh, like, gosh. <laughs> oh, God. Eugene Simon, he's really, really good at... Um... This sort of comedic, oh, I guess aghast. Yeah, he's so good. He's so good at it. <laughs> and this scene particularly, I thought was a really good one. Um, it's it's nice to have these little moments of kind of dark humour scattered throughout an episode, which is you know all about people getting murdered and and potentially raped. And exactly, yeah, it's kind of necessary to provide just that little bit of levity. So. Yeah, all these little scenes with, with Tyrion and Joffrey and Lance, so I really, really enjoyed. <laughs> Although this one in particular, I mean, this was just one of those completely perfectly it was done scenes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, The blocking, everything about the way it was directed were perfect, spot on to go with the dialogue, and mm. everyone acted superbly in this yeah, one. Yeah, I love this, this is, scene. This is, this is one of, you know, people talk about the Blackwater, you know, at the time, it, it was it was a pretty impressive battle episode, you know, I mean, now that we've seen Castle Black, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of dwarfs as far as battle stuff, anything else. But mm-hmm. it really were these, it was these little moments in, in the Blackwater that really get you. And this is one of the perfect ones. I mean, we've seen so many so far. But um yeah, you know, it's so funny. Game of Thrones so rarely does, you know, a bottle type episode. And when they do, it's like for the exact opposite reason that you normally would see an episode. Um, because they throw tons of money at it. But I love that they managed to, to take these moments and just kind of focus in on the characters themselves. It's something that I feel like has been lost a little bit in later seasons. And, mm-hmm. oh, this is, this is so perfect. It's just, you know, 
letting these people that we've come to know really just play out how they would react in that moment is it's perfect. Everything about it is pit perfect to me. Yeah, I totally agree with you. It's funny actually because I was I was thinking before before I rewatched the episode for podcast that, you know, I hadn't seen Blackwater for a long, long time and I was thinking, oh, it's the battle episode. You know, I remembered it being good and, and a spectacle. But you were so right, Chicky. I didn't remember just how much of these little character moments we actually got and it made the episode so much more enjoyable on, on rewatch for me. It was, you know, it's not just about the fighting. It's actually about the people and the characters that we that we have, you know, gotten to love and know, I guess. Um, and they've just done it so Sorry, Common, go ahead. No, no, no. I was going to say, they've, they've just done it so brilliantly, and it's, it is something that has been kind of sorely missing, particularly in the first, I guess, more recently, but also in the first two seasons, we sort of had a lot of cutting and, you know, back and forth between scenes. We had, to, we've had some issues with the cohesiveness of, of episodes because we've been sort of flitting around. So to have this one episode <laughs> where everything is sort of contained in one area and yet we still get to see what's happening with each of the characters in that area. And they just did it so damn well. It's honestly, I think this is probably one of the best Game of Thrones episodes so far. Yeah. It's yeah. one of my personal favorites. Mm. Um, I think it's interesting, just piggybacking off of what you just said, I think there are a lot of, like you can look at feature movie makers who have excellent technical battle scenes, war movies, etc. But if there's no heart there, it's just, it's a technical exercise. It's a bunch of special mm. effects. It's just, If there's mm-hmm. no there there, I mean, if I don't care about these people, if it's just a bunch of people ripping heads off, this means nothing. This is how you do it. You care about all these characters. You're invested in who they are. And I think this is why, in its way, this is superior to the Castle Black thing. Mm -hmm. Because I care about all these people. I mean, some of them, I hate them, but I'm invested. And if you've got these small moments, you have these slow beats, these quick beats, it's there's an emotional core to this that is what carries it through. It's not necessarily how good the CGI is or how good the blocking or the battle is, although that really helps. But if you don't have that other piece there, it's just a technical thing. It's just, okay, well, that was nice, but I don't remember anything about it. But this I remember. Mm. It's it's, it's interesting because it kind of, what you say, it kind of raises this question of, I mean, we kind of, who, who we actually want, who are we rooting for in this episode? You know, you kind of, we have come to, to care about these characters. So, you know, you kind of want Team Tyrion to win, but then you think, oh, no. Tyrion winning means, no. hang on. <laughs> if Tyrion wins, that means that a psychopath returns the throne. And you know, I upset. you kind of want, he is not let a me finish. She's talking about Joffrey. <laughs> You also can't. I was talking about oh. Joffrey. I was talking about Joffrey. Tyrion wins. That okay. means we've still got Joffrey on the throne. But you know, and then you kind of want Stannis to win. But then you think, oh, Stannis kind of killed his brother to get to the throne, and he's involved in the dark arts. And you know, what does Varys say in the books? Um, There's no creature on earth half so terrifying as a truly just man. So you know, Stannis <laughs> has also done some pretty shitty stuff in the pursuit of what he believes is right. So you know, we do like these characters. We care about these characters, but. You know, it's kind of this whole moral quagmire. Like, who who do we actually want to win? Who is who is the best person for the job? Stannis. 
<laughs> no. Tywin. This is the beauty. This is the beauty of the way that George tells exactly. stories. Like, is that he makes he you doesn't. understand, not mm-hmm. just care, but understand but was- that, that nothing is ever simple. There never is a black and white good guy and bad guy. And this is exactly the epitome of that kind of moment. Yeah. You know, no one's really the bad guy. No one's really the good guy. And everybody has really good points in their favor why they ought to be, you know, where they are. Um, and, and you don't really fault anyone for being where they are. You can't blame Tyrion for trying to protect his family and, and hold what they've got. And at the same time, you can't blame Stannis for trying to get the throne. It should be his. So, you know, it, it's really just a beautiful example of everything that's great about George's story. And I, yeah. you know, you just have to appreciate that the show embraced it and, and, and put it out there exactly in the, in the, in the, entirely in the spirit with which it was written. And this is just, this is the beauty of the adaptation of Game of Thrones. This is, this is, in many ways, I agree with you guys. I think this is about the pinnacle of it. Mm-hmm. Damn. Yeah. Put yeah. that in a no. sound clip. <laughs> that was great. Yeah. <clears throat> Let's go on to, uh, Cersei with Toman. Um, they're in the chamber with all the other women and children. Cersei calls Sansa over and gives her wine. Sansa doesn't like uh, Sir Illyn's presence. Cersei tells her he's there to protect them. The paid guards at the door will be the first to flee. On cue, we get a guard um, coming in to announce that a groom and two maids were trying to escape. Cersei commands their heads be taken off and put outside the stables as a warning to others. Um, and then she has this line, Only way to keep small folk loyal is to make sure they fear you more than your enemy. Oh, God. Mm. There's so much in this scene that is about Cersei and her mindset and her training from Tywin. You can mm-hmm. hear echoes of Tywin mm-hmm. in so much of what she says throughout this episode. And and here here is a really good piece of it, because this is absolutely Tywin philosophy um, coming through Cersei's mouth right there. Um, and, and that is exactly how she's trained to deal with things like this. And that it is what she believes is the best way to deal with it as well. And, and you really see that in this episode. There's a lot of really bookish Cersei stuff in this yeah, episode. That's absolutely what I noticed. And it's funny, we've had it in the last couple of episodes. We've really had book Cersei shining through. And I mean, obviously this episode was written by George. So, you know, it's not surprising that the characterizations are, are more spot on than they have been generally, uh, in the past few ups that we've done. But, you know, it, as George was saying in the commentary for the scene, Cersei's not entirely wrong in her explanation about, about traitors no. and, and what you should do with them. You know, you kind of don't want traitors in your midst, uh, throughout a battle like this. You know, it's, it's harsh behavior, but it's also kind of justified. Yeah. You know what I couldn't I help know. wondering is, oh, go ahead, Karma. No, 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 you were... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, what I couldn't help wonder is, not only, like, are you hearing kind of Tywin's words coming through Cersei, but you're wondering, they always have these lines about, you know, Sansa's learned so much from these people. Are are we going to see Sansa kind of utilizing some of this uh, wisdom, quote-unquote, that Cersei has (laughs) imparted upon her? In her her dark Sansa face coming up... Oh God! I, actually, I can't help but I don't think you are. I think we see later on in this episode her sort of taking that and rejecting that. Right. I know what scene you're talking about. Um, I just want to say I I really love it's I think the start of it. Um, because we see a lot of this in season three with the what the fuck is she wearing <laughs> costume? What the fuck is Sarah's wear now? No, 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 not Sarah. Oh, Cersei with the breast <laughs> <laughs> like, I remember watching this going, 
Oh, I, that is very cray. Why would you do that? But it's well, it's sort of it's a her nice armor. note. It's her exactly. Armor. And it's carried through. Speaking of stuff carried through into season three, because you know it's sort of with that little sartorial battle she and Marjorie start to have, and Marjorie commenting on you know a lot of Cersei's more um, outlandish outfits. So I just loved it. Mm-hmm. It was a perfectly. I, it was. It was spot on because it was, yes, it's her armor, literally and figuratively. And it's also a slightly like that. It was just, yeah, what the hell? I think dramas is going to defend it a little. Go ahead, dramas. <laughs> no, no. It's no? her armor dress. And you know that she, she has that moment where she's talking about how she, you know, she wasn't trained, uh, with, she wanted to be trained like Jamie and she didn't get that. So, that's her way of being, you know, involved. Because in her mind, she, this is her battle too, and she's yeah. fighting it. Um, well, yeah, it makes it's exactly sense. It is. Yeah. But yeah. the it's the the use fear thing when he's when she's talking about the small folk, considering what we know is coming, if you've read the books and also if you've heard the spoilers for season five, it's almost as if I'm like, oh, Cersei, you don't know what's coming. Yeah. I'm like, the high mm-hmm. sparrow is coming. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's the voice of the small folk. And the small folk will, aren't fearing you any longer. Mm. You should be the yeah. one that's afraid. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, it's, it is really foreshadowing that eventual battle that she'll have. Well, and she's embraced part of her father's philosophy, but not the other half. Like in Clash, I think it is when, um, Arya's in Heron Hall. And the Lannisters are in charge. You know, everyone is being like, okay, we'll feed you, we'll clothe you, we'll take care of you. I mean, that's part of his, yes, there's this fear part, but there's also this reward part. She's not, she only sees a certain thing because she doesn't, well, she That is so true. Something Cersei has never learned and never understood is that you have to reward loyalty. And she almost never rewards loyalty, really. And it, it is something that comes back to really bite her in the ass later on. But I just want to say about her wearing the, the armor in this, this scene or throughout this episode, I really think it was pretty clever use of costuming. And I'll tell you mm-hmm. why. It's because Cersei alone among these women, I mean, maybe not alone, you know, that Shay kind of knows what's going on, but you know, she's, she's, she's there with all these women and they're gathered and they are praying and singing and all these things. But Cersei alone knows that none of that matters. And Cersei right. actually, does know exactly what's going to happen if everything falls. She knows better than anyone what happened in Mager's Holdfast the last time that King's Landing fell. And, you know, she doesn't have any delusions. And I think the armor is a really great visual representation mm-hmm. of that. I actually kind of love that they did that. I mean, oh, I, I do it. think that the boob thing on, on a breastplate <laughs> is ridiculous because it's actually very harmful, we've learned, in actual combat. But, I mean, other than that, I think it's actually a really clever move and, and one of the great choices from their costuming department, I think. Oh, I thought it was spot on. I'm not criticizing at all. I thought it was brilliant. I just think it's brilliant for different reasons. <laughs> I don't know. I think I'd be a bigger fan of it if it actually covered her heart and, like, maybe her neck. <laughs> <laughs> the important uh, thing is I, I, like, I like it as a, as a bit of symbolism. I... <laughs> I'm not going to be rushing out to purchase one myself. But. <laughs> Liar. No, she's on eBay right now. <laughs> yeah, I, I am. <laughs> Going to the Ren Fair. <laughs> Connor already has it in different colors. 
<laughs> All right. So on the wall, we have Joffrey. Uh, he's pointing to Stannis's fleet coming into view. Tyrion tells the archers to hold fast. Joffrey is confused. He wants to attack. A single ship sits in the bay. Joffrey wants to know where the rest are. The unmanned ship sails past Davos. The pyromancer climbs the stairs and gives Tyrion a torch. At the back of the unmanned ship, we see the uh, green wildfire flowing out the back. Davos recognizes it and shouts, stand clear. Tyrion gives the signal. Bronn shoots a lit arrow from the bank into the trail of wildfire. Davos that's, shouts. Oh, that's Bronn's Robin Hood Prince of Thieves. Yeah, <laughs> he, he looks this quite is striking, second episode dude. in a row we've talked about Robin Hood on podcasts. Yes. <laughs> carry on, Lock. Carry on. Okay. Davos shouts at Mathos to get down, and just as he does, there's a giant green explosion. It's horrible, and it's tremendous. Uh, men are on fire. Um, some are left alive. They're jumping into the water, trying to put themselves out on the decks. There's screams. It's complete chaos. The hound looks a bit scared. <laughs> the pyromancer is creepily excited, and then t- uh, Tyrion <laughs> takes note of oh, this. Oh, God, yes. He looks I at the scene. I love the pyromancer's face. <laughs> it's, it was almost, Everyone it's else is like, oh, my God, and he's just like, yes! This is the best <laughs> He's been finally picked it forever. <laughs> it's just somebody who's really enjoying what they do, you know? <laughs> job well done. It's just yeah. someone who enjoys their job. Take pride in good I, at their job. I love the contrast of that, though. You know, you do have someone who's rejoicing because something worked, but at the same time, everyone else is watching this and realizing um, yeah. what an what incredible loss of life they're watching and how, you know, Except they're basically... Well, even Joffrey, I feel like, you know, they're awestruck and they're, they're, yeah, you know, it's just kind of the power of the moment seems to kind of overwhelm everyone else. I mean, you know, and, and I think that's great. I think it's great to understand yeah. that, you know, you don't completely lose your humanity just because you're fighting against someone. And it was a really good, good moment to kind of illustrate that. And of and everybody, it's Rory McCann here. Oh, amazing. He's amazing. Oh, he's amazing. He does a fantastic job in this episode. I mean, I like him generally but this this was his episode to shine i think yeah what i thought was nice too with you know speaking of the reactions to this explosion is Tyrion, you know the mastermind behind this plan he seemed to be the most horrified of all mm-hmm. yeah well i mean yeah, there's there's so much of a baby boomer american writer in these in this in, the, in these moments that it's it's kind of almost chilling to watch. I mean, yeah, I know this is, this is, this is how it feels to have used, you know, weapons of mass destruction and see them actually working. And, and yeah. it is really great that they showed that. Yeah. I, I also sort of think... his. Go ahead, dramas. Uh, okay. I also think, you know, I guess the way that I watch things is it's a rewatch. I've already watched it and I know what's coming with the next season because I'm caught up in everything. But, um, I think what's really good with the show is that it's showing us how horrific wildfire is so that when we get that moment with Jamie and he says how he prevented uh mm-hmm. Eris from having, you know, that master plan, you, the viewers can have already, uh I guess, uh you know, they've already experienced they, it. They see mm-hmm. it. Yeah. They see it and they realize, wow, that if he, and this had, way more wildfire and it was all over King's Landing. You can just imagine like how much more horrible 
Yeah. It would have been if Eris had actually been able to do what he wanted to do. I really like that point. point. Yeah, I really like that point. It's funny, actually, because George was saying uh, in the commentary... Uh, you know, it's pretty much spinning off what Chicky was saying. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's, the reason it's in there and it's, it's such a spectacle is partially just to show how, I guess, how big a scale this is, how many deaths there are going to be. And George was talking about how, you know, most of these people, you know, the small folk particularly have never really seen anything like this before. They've never, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like, it's not like current times where, you know, you get on the internet, we see all the war photos. Like they've never actually experienced anything on this scale. So, I mean, George was talking about how wildfire is kind of his version of Greek fire. And it's, uh, you know, not just, I guess, a thing to, to explain the scale of, of death and destruction, but also, I don't know. I mean, I, sorry, go ahead. Whoever was going to speak. <laughs> I think save, me from my, save me from myself. I'm frantically trying to <laughs> No, you're great. You're all no, I mean, I just want to tie into what Chicky said with the baby boomer remark. I mm-hmm. mean, Tyrion's face, it's sort of like... um I think it's Robert Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer who was involved with the Manhattan Project, uh, project who said, um, mm-hmm. after the bomb, um, I have become death, I am the destroyer of worlds. It's that sort of realization of what you've I unleashed. I totally had that thought. That's mm-hmm. great. Yep. Anyway, we gotta, so we gotta keep plugging through, guys. Fascination with us. We got a lot more episode to get through here. Um, we have Stannis on his boat. He is untouched. Um, he commands his men to prepare to land. Uh, his soldiers are visibly shaken. Um, one of, there's this like great scene. It was a single soldier and he pretty much summarizes the morale and he's like, well, hundreds will die. And he says, no, thousands. Thousands. Mm-hmm. Right, Lon. Well, Stannis isn't a quitter. Damn right. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> What's interesting, what an interesting change from the books, um, is that in the books we've actually got Stannis is, he's pretty much commanding from the rear. So we don't have Stannis on a boat. Um, we have him, I think, oh, I think he's like on one of the banks of the river with his men, like he's horsed and he's, uh, he's kind of commanding from the rear. So in the, in this episode, they've actually got him on the front lines in the vanguard and actually leading the charge. Which which I don't have an issue with. I mean, what's funny is when you're reading the books, you are not infrequently told how good a fighter Stannis actually is, you know, but we never actually really get to see him uh, participate so much in that fight. So it was nice right. to actually see him, you know, get to yeah. go for it here. They yeah, gave him his own. And also, and also remember, this will also tie into Sansa saying, well, you know, a real, you know, fighter will fight right. a real leader will fight in the vanguard and mm-hmm. who's who's fighting in the vanguard stannis and joffrey is you know there's a lot of so parallels between or well opposites i guess between stannis and joffrey you know stannis is the one looking going okay he's played his trick he can't do it again let's keep going i mean joffrey has been absent from all these plans he hasn't been involved in any of them he's got no idea what's going on and he can't he's a coward he doesn't want to get there and Stannis is like let's go and well I, mean, I can't I believe they're I'm about to defend Joffrey but oh, <laughs> he, is no. a, get out. he is a boy no lot don't do it I'd be at the back too because if I were a 16 year old boy and I didn't know what the hell I was doing but <laughs> again <laughs> he has 
he has been deliberately <laughs> chosen not to be involved. If it doesn't involve beating up prostitutes or torturing his bride to be, he's got no interest. He doesn't mm-hmm. go to the small council. He doesn't care. Stannis is, is heavily invested in all of this, and I think it's a great way to indicate to people, you know, who this man is and who Joffrey exactly. is. I don't think there's anybody that's going to argue that Joffrey would be a better king than Stannis. I thought you were going to say, I don't think anyone's going to argue with you, Comer, about Stannis. And I was like about to say, even if I disagreed with Comer, I wouldn't be arguing it with her. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's go on. We have Cersei and... Everyone knows that Stannis puts his his money where his mouth is. I mean, that is just Stannis' hallmark. Yeah. To me, it wasn't a mischaracterization. I think it was great. No. Yeah, no. I didn't even remember that he wasn't in the Vanguard. I don't even... I know that there was a ground assault along with the the ship thing. Yeah. God, yeah. I really need There's to reread this again. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the chain thing. Yeah. Oh, people were so pissed that there was no chain, <laughs> weren't they? Yeah, I, look, I didn't have an issue with there not being the chain. I mean, it was Here. such a spectacle as it was. I don't think they really needed it. Yeah, we got it up at the wall, so there. <laughs> The point is Tyrion had great strategy. That's the point. And we yeah. got that. We see right. that with yeah. the wildfire. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, let's move on. We got a lot more to go through. Um Cersei calls for Sansa. She's looking a bit drunk and bored. Um she asks Sansa what she's doing and she says praying. Cersei mocks her a bit and um and the gods that she's praying to. Cersei gives Sansa more wine and laments that she wasn't born a man, hates being locked up here with all these fucking chickens. Sorry, that's mm-hmm. a little... <laughs> yeah. All right. That's uh, she's... insult to chickens. She is, has that a... is that an insult against me, or no? <laughs> no, I'm just thinking about that uh, iTunes it's review we got. Fucking <laughs> chickens, the way Eon pronounced it. Anyway. Yeah, no, I, I, if... I'm just, you know... Cersei's being so Cersei in this episode. I really, really, really love this change of pace. Yeah. You know, it's you what she, she's mocking Sansa for praying. She's slinging insults at her. She's really seems to be taking a lot of pleasure in telling Sansa she's going to be raped. Um, so yeah, that's that's our Cersei, and Lena does a really spectacular job of this this Cersei as well. So I like the I bit that. I like the bit that she had when she was talking about um if it was anyone else but Stannis, I'd have a, you know, she'd ask oh, for yeah. a private audience. <laughs> and um, as it is, yeah, she's... she has a better chance with his horse. Yeah, you know who loved that moment? That's not the kind of talk I enjoy. Crack ship, crack ship. There's a, I read it. Oh, God. Ew, uh. I'm moving on. No, no, no. I can't As long as it's not about Stannis' horse. Go ahead. I really, I actually really. It's not about livestock at all. I just want to say <laughs> something that comes in in the books is that men who rape in Stannis's, you know, if they're his men and they rape, they are gelded. Mm-hmm. He didn't put up with that shit. Now, I don't know if he, how he could prevent it in a battle like that, but in general, he's yeah. against that. Yeah, look, I just wanted to say that it's not, it was nice for me to get that brief mention of Cersei oh, yeah. saying that she uses sex to manipulate because oh, that's something that has been sorely lacking yeah. in the previous episodes. So yeah, it was nice to get that little mention of it, mm-hmm. I think, because oh, I won't... <laughs> go ahead, Chicky. You get the feeling that George feels the same way, dude. <laughs> yeah. Just, just maybe, maybe a little bit. <laughs> 
Well, the line, <laughs> right? I really loved how they wrote it. Well, how George wrote this in the scene, and, and unsurprisingly, it's quite similar to the book scene. And Le- Lena delivers it so well, too. You know, she's holding that wine cup and it's sloshing about. <laughs> she's saying, you know, tears aren't a woman's only weapon. Yeah. It's interesting to see how much disdain Cersei has for women as well. She just hates being a woman. She, yeah. I mean, I can't really blame her in a way. You know, she was, and this is, this is touched on in the books. You know, she's a twin. She and Jamie were so similar. And yet Jamie was treated so differently to her. He was given so much more responsibility, so much more respect. He got to learn how to fight. She got, essentially sold off into prostitution. Well, you know, you know, they made a marriage for her. She talks about Ouch. Well, yeah. And I'd be bitter. I see her point. So yeah, I'd be bitter too in a way. Okay, let's go outside. The boats are making their way to shore. Tyrion orders archers to rain fire on them. Joffrey looks frightened. The hound gathers men to meet Stannis's army. The hound takes um the time at this point to threaten one of their own archers. <laughs> Um, the archers release their lit arrows on the army as it lands on shore. At the castle walls, rocks are thrown from above. Um, one guy head splatters all over Stannis's face. Mm-hmm. And then Stannis kind of fights on this balcony for the rest of the episode. <laughs> that was kind of funny. Um, the hound comes through the gate. It's a bloody battle. Uh, Lancel gets hit by an arrow and then slinks back inside. Oh, God. He is such weak sauce in battle. <laughs> he did okay. I thought he did all right. At least he was out there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll give him credit. He tried. Yeah. But I'm, I'm just like, he gets hit and he's, I mean, and if by an add on, he's down. He's down. Well, let's see how you would do if you got hit by an arrow. <laughs> yeah. No, but I, but, I'll but just say, other people fighting. They, the other yeah. people are still fighting. They're, they're, because they realize, even if they're hurt, even if they're injured, they still have to fight. Because these people are gonna get into our city. <laughs> He's a Lannister. I liked Lancel in this episode. I actually thought he showed some some courage, especially when he was standing up to Cersei. So, oh, but then he gets punched, and then, then he went to the arrow wound. <laughs> Totally incapacitated him. There's nothing he could do. Dramas is like, no, no, it's a tis but a flesh wound. Get up, Lancel. Get out. (laughs) Uh, So back inside, we see the women with Cersei again. And uh, she's talking about her childhood with Jamie. Uh, She notices Shay at this point. Um, teaches her to curtsy. She begs, um, she pegs her for being a Lorathi person, lowborn. Cersei wants to know how Shay achieved becoming a handmaiden with, uh, in the Red Keep. Just as Shay is about to tell her story, we get an injured Lancel. <laughs> he oh, shares gosh. the news of the ships and the wildfire, um, but of how now Stannis is at their walls. Cersei wants Joffrey back inside with her. Lancel objects. Cersei wants Joffrey back in his chambers. Lancel leaves, as he's told. Cersei tells Sans of the truth about Illyn, that he's not there to, uh, that he's actually there to kill them should things go bad. So, um, <laughs> hilariously in the commentary, George talks about the character of Shay and he makes mention of the fact that, you know, she's not from Lorath. She's actually Westerosi born in the books. Not that that really matters. And then he says something really interesting, which is, we've essentially created a new character with some attributes of Shay. <laughs> so, oh. George knows what's up. Gotta dig, gotta dig. 
You don't say, George. You don't say. (laughs) She's kind of similar. If you squint, they look similar. You kind of love his snark every once in a while. Yeah, yeah, his commentary. I mean, you know, this commentary was actually 80% George complaining that no one was wearing helmets in battle, but the rest of it was quite interesting. When he's going on about the chain, I told, I'm like, George, because I'm speaking to him as if he can hear me. Oh, George. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, George, it's a TV show with a limited budget. There, you know, you got to make sacrifices. And the helmet thing, it's like, but I don't know their armor. I don't know that that's a lamp. You know, I need, I need visual cues. Mm-hmm. But then he makes these very good and apt points about the characters, and it's like, yes, yeah, see, that's where you gotta save your venom. You gotta, that's where you gotta be. Mm. You don't worry about these little things, or the, you know, the impractical things. You gotta pick your battles. Well, they actually said in relation to the chain that, uh, it was never in the script. D&D actually went to George and said to him straight away, look, we just can't afford the chain. So, <laughs> right. that wasn't in the script. Although they did have the trebuchets in the script, apparently, which is, they had some, uh, in the books, they had basically human trebuchets where they were like slinging human heads and oh. dead bodies. Yeah. Oh, the Amber Man, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's right. Yeah, so oh, that was initially in the script, but again, something that had to be cut uh, because of cost. But hey, so I mean... George is reusing that in Marine. That's so funny. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay, um, so outside, the battle is as brutal as ever. A flaming man is shot by Braun. The hound, who looks like a deer in headlights a bit, um, mm. by all the fire that's surrounding him. Uh, ladders are brought out. Stannis and his men are making progress on the walls. Inside, the hound uh, returns, and he wants wine. Tyrion asks him if he can get him some ice milk and nice bowl of raspberries while he's at it. The hound <laughs> tells him to eat shit. Joffrey yells at him to go back out there and fight. Tyrion reminds the hound that he is a king's guard. The hound replies, fuck the king's guard, fuck the city, and fuck the king. Um, and it's pretty much the <laughs> second best take this job and shove it moment, in my opinion. My personal <laughs> favorite still being Jack Barristan. The look on Jeffrey's face when he says that as well. Jack Gleason plays that perfectly. The king's guard, man. The king's guard just can't keep good king's guard. They need a they need a better uh, salary package. Yeah, they they have a lot of turnover. turnover. <laughs> I gotta say, George's George's commentary for this scene: Braun is also not wearing a helmet. Oh, the Hound's not wearing a helmet. That's it. <laughs> That's hilarious. So, uh, there's something so universal about it, that moment when you're growing up and you realize that people who've been doing things for you and taking care of you are actually their own people Mm -hmm. and that they have their own needs. And you see that, you know, especially with someone like Joffrey, who's very clearly some sort of borderline personality, a sociopath or psychopath or something. Mm -hmm. It's so good to see that on his face. Like, what? You're not just going to do what I'm telling you? What? (laughs) This is the thing. It's particularly interesting for Joffrey because really the Hound is kind of the only kind of close, I mean, other than his mother, the only closest, close, close-ish sort of relationship that he's had. You know, he's always, yeah, he's kind of like a, almost a, a pseudo father to him where he has been. He's always someone, as you say, is someone he's, he's been able to rely on. So, maybe like a, Paul's dog, but yeah. Gruff uncle. Well, I mean, you know, as, as, in so no, but as Joffrey can form close relationships, this is one right. of the, I mean, I, yeah, yeah, we'll give you that line. <laughs> Mm-hmm. He depends limit. on Sander, and he seems to enjoy having Sander around. And so, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. There, it, there is a universal truth in this. I mean, we all reach yeah. this point growing up where we realize that, yeah. you know, our parents don't work for us, that they're actually their own human beings. What? And like that. Yeah, no. Well, eventually, <laughs> most of us. But, you know, so there is something really universal about it, but it's just great yeah. just seeing Jack Gleason's take on it as Joffrey, who just yeah. could not possibly accept that this could be true. Yeah, <laughs> and I think it's probably additionally difficult for Joffrey because he's just so used to getting his way all the time. Yeah. yeah. Oh, space. Amazing. All right. Let's continue on. Outside, the battering ram makes it to shore. Lancel finds Joffrey, delivers Cersei's message. Tyrion tells Joffrey, if uh, you won't defend your city, why should they? Joffrey is a coward, and he goes inside. Tyrion announces peace he'll... Out. Yeah, peace out. <laughs> Tyrion announces he'll lead the attack. He asks for his helm from Pod. Sorry, I had to throw in that there was a helmet. Man doesn't... The men do not look inspired by the concept of Tyrion leading. Uh, Tyrion stops them as they're kind of turning away. Um, he ans- he says that he knows another way out. Uh, he gives a rousing speech, and you can kind of feel the morale building, you know, as he's speaking. And he has this line where he says, Those are brave men knocking at your door. Let's go kill them. Uh, Tyrion mm-hmm. has won them over, and they follow him. This Lance, is uh, yeah. this oh, is okay. another smart battle move from Tyrion, really. You know, he's he's clever enough to know that these men don't give a fuck about the king. They don't care about, you know, they don't really care about the impetus for fighting or how it was initially. Tyrion's smart enough to know that he needs to make this a personal thing for for his men, and it works. You know, he says, "Don't fight for the king or the kingdom or riches or glory," because you know you're not going to get any of that. You should get out there and fight because this is your city under attack, and. If Stannis wins, he's going to be taking your homes and your women and your gold. You know, so they're they're just in their king desert them. So why should they fight for him? He doesn't care about them and and they don't care about him. And what they do care about are their homes and families. So that's pretty much the smartest thing Tyrion could have actually said to them. Yep. Well, it was a really good illustration. We've seen, we've seen Tyrion's strategy be smart. And this is, this is a moment where we see Tyrion's ability to understand people be mm-hmm. really clever and right on. And this is something that the show has been really good at, at trying to illustrate throughout. Tyrion understands people. He understands what motivates them because, you know, he comes from such an outsider position himself. He's able to really empathize with people and see where they're coming from and understand their needs and what they want and what they love. And this is, this is, you know, so much about, at least in my memory of what goes on in clashes is showing the marked contrast between what Tyrion understands about this and what Cersei understands about this. Cersei understands almost none of this, and Tyrion completely understands that, you know, you gotta get, you gotta hit people where their hearts are or where, where, where their love is, and that is something Tyrion is amazing at, and this is a really great illustration of this. I um, mean, this is one of the places where, places where the illustration, or, sorry, illustration, where the adaptation completely shines. I mean, they have completely captured that essence of, 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 uh, this attribute of Tyrion and shown it completely perfectly on the screen. And what's interesting um, when you talk about the Lannister siblings is, is that Jamie kind of shares a similar attribute with Tyrion in that regard. I mean, no, he wasn't necessarily an outsider, at least not growing up, but he also has in in his own way, the ability to to read people very well and to tell people what they need to hear to get them to do what he wants them to do. So in that respect, Jamie is much more like Tyrion. And obviously, as you say, we've got Cersei at the complete other end of the spectrum who won't, won't 
you know, I guess bow to anyone. She won't tell people what they need to hear. She, I don't even think she even knows. I mean, she, she lacks the ability to actually empathize with people. So she wouldn't even know what to say to get people on board if she wanted to. You know what I think is funny about that as far as their dynamic is I really think it's Jamie who is actually the most naturally empathetic because Jamie's had mm-hmm. no experiences to make him empathetic and yet he's pretty much a he walking is, pile of empathy. Yeah. I think it is Tyrion's life experiences that have made him as empathetic. It would be interesting to see if you reversed uh, their life circumstances with the personalities they were born with, if Jamie and, and Tyrion would be anything like, I, I don't, I don't think they would be. I think Tyrion would be a much harsher and worse. I person agree with you. And so, you know what yeah. Jenna says to Jamie about how Tyrion is Tywin's son, not Jamie. And I think mm-hmm. that's absolutely mm-hmm. true. I think that removing his early experience in life and, and I guess what he continues to experience to this day would would set, would change his personality dramatically in that regard, at least. I think you're absolutely right. I think that Tyrion would be much, much more like Cersei, probably a bit more like Tywin, because yeah. Tyrion mm-hmm. does have the intelligence to at least try, or at least to understand that you need to give your people something for them to give okay. you something back. But, well, yeah, absolutely. Yes. I think that's... What's the you know, quote Tywin has about how, like, you must make the man bend the knee, but then you help him raise himself up? Something like that. Does that yeah. sound right? I don't know what off hands, but yeah. But it's like she's got half of that. Like, yeah, you got to force him down, but she doesn't get the other part. Hmm. And I think Tyrion does. Mm-hmm. Cersei so always think- gets bored halfway through lessons from Tywin. She doesn't listen <laughs> all the way through. Yeah. I mean, she's. I mean, the thing partially is she just doesn't want to listen to anyone else. She thinks she knows best, and Cersei really does. Have an over-exaggerated sense of uh, her intelligence. She really does think that she's smarter than she actually is, and she doesn't believe she needs to take counsel from anyone else because who knows better than she does. But you know, obviously, as we've seen over and over and over again, she really could use some good advice. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, if only she'd yeah, started. Yeah. <laughs> oh well. I mean, well, with this, uh, with the scene with uh, Tyrion giving his speech and stuff. What I was remembering was, um, I was comparing, like, him during this battle, and then, uh, what episode was it where he went into the battle and he got hit over the head and then he, like, missed the entire battle? Oh, yeah, that oh, was that one yeah. wait. I, so I'm comparing, I'm comparing that to this, and I mean, improvement. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. like, that was a complete <laughs> failure, and here he is, you know, like, well, the interesting uh, thing about that is, is that in that episode, the scene that that was based on was actually quite different. In the books, Tyrion actually does, he's really courageous, he's really brave, and he's actually quite an effective fighter. So they actually cut that way down in that episode. So it really, they have Tyrion come off as the, looking really inept, and that actually really bugged me. So I'm glad that he got his chance to shine in this episode. Yeah. Let's let's keep going then, because we're over time now. Lots, lots like this episode's going to be three hours uh, long. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, okay, uh, we have... This episode's worth it. It's uh, a great episode. We have Lancel, and he's returning to Cersei. He announces that the battle is lost. Um, the men have lost all heart when Joffrey left. Lancel wants to escort him back to the battlefield. Uh, Cersei punches him in his wound and leaves the women. Sansa tries mm-hmm. to calm them. She leads them with a hem. Uh, Shay interrupts her and tells her she needs to go to her chambers and bar her door. She kind of eyes Ilan Payne up a bit and says, Stannis won't hurt you, but Ilan will. 
Shay refuses to go with Sansa when she asks her to come with her, and uh, Shay reveals her blade and says no one is raping her. Sansa bars her door and grabs her doll. The hound, who is in her room, says the lady is starting to panic. He tells her he is leaving uh, maybe north, offers to take her to Winterfell. She says no. He tells her to look at him. Um, he, He basically spends his time to call everyone she knows a killer, and uh, she better get used to looking at them. And she says, you won't hurt me. The hound leaves. Oh, yeah, that's the scene that basically launched a thousand and one Sansan AUs. There are so many things where she says yes, and then they take it on from there. You know, there were some interesting differences in this, uh, in the show adaptation of this scene to the books. Um, No songs. well, no song. The impression I got from the books is it was much more, there were, there were much scary. more sort of, well, scary. There was more violence, yes, more sexual as well, because, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. in the book, the hound actually grabs Sansa and he actually tosses her onto the bed and he's got a knife to her throat. Um, so here they've really kind of toned it down. It's more, I'll keep you safe. Uh, Santa says, oh, you're not going to hurt me. They've really removed that kind of violent imagery, which is an interesting choice. Um, presumably George wrote this scene. I don't remember if he actually says whether he did, but I do. <laughs> there was some talk on the message boards in this episode about from the Sand Sand shippers who were disappointed because they'd removed all that kind of, I don't know, sexual goodness. I would have wanted to I'm see that. Girl. Girl. But yeah. Well, you know, there's uh, uh, well, <laughs> as it, I, I ship it, but, but that scene, like in the book, <laughs> yeah. scares me. Like, yeah. I was yeah. really scared reading that, actually. Yeah. Even though I do well, ship it. Well, I think that there's... Go ahead, Comma. There, there are encounters in the books. I mean... Oh. There's that scene in A Game of Thrones. She's like 11 or 12 years old in the books. That's young. And, like, the first thing, there's that whole thing where he's telling her about how his brother, like, you know, shoved his face in the fire. And, I mean, it's this sort of, like, all this menace. And he's, he's, I find it interesting, too. And they show it in this episode. There's this sort of need all of these characters have to just destroy her innocence. Well, it's like I- they're... Co- they feel compelled to just like. I feel like they the seek her out and just want to beat the shit out of her, and I don't, I don't understand. I mean, I get thinking that about people. I get why Cersei would think that way, but I don't get why it always. Everyone feels this need to express it so vehemently to her. What if that I- whole? What I find interesting about the Hound is I think he's both attracted to and repelled by her innocence because he lost lost his at such a young age. But, I mean, speaking about how young Sansa is in the books, she is young, but that that sexual nature of their relationship is there from both sides. I mean, Sansa thinks about the Hound in a sexual way more than once. You know, she has memories of their encounter during the Blackwater. She, she fabricates a kiss between the two of them during that scene, and she actually thinks about it quite often. And you yeah. see her kind of, you know, as you go further along in the books, conflating her memories of Loras, who she clearly had a crush on, with the Hound. Um, you know, she... Yes. She dreams of her wedding night to Tyrion and then she starts thinking about the Hound in the same context, you know, in the marital context. You know, it's there. And obviously the Hound, he thinks about the way she looks. And- but but let's take a step back. For a, It's not that it's... 
it's not that I don't get that a, a child or a, t- a preteen, whatever we're going to call her, a tween, would have those feelings. It's that somebody who's so much older with her, than her has those feelings towards essentially what is a child. And I, even though I know that medieval marriages were going on with 12-year-olds, it's just, uh, it's such a taboo for me. I have such an issue with it. Mm. I mean, I can see why they took it out of the sh- show. Yeah. I mean, Where in the like show, as it looks white you know, she's so much older looking and she is aged up slightly that I find it less repellent than I do in the books. Even with the bigger You're joking, I find it so much more repellent than in the books. I- I'm actually shocked that they included any of this at all. And the reason for that is I really don't think that the show, even though they included so many of the Sansa and Sander scenes, they really never played the sexual element of it. I don't know if maybe they they wrote it with a sexual element and it's just that Rory McCann couldn't bring himself to convey that. I'm not really sure what, what happened or why they bothered on the show, I guess, mm-hmm. just because Rory McCann's casting is so old. And I mean, I agree with you, Kama. It's a big age difference in the books as well. But let's note again. Rory is clearly a man well into his 40s, <laughs> whereas yeah. in the book, Sanders much younger. He's like three years older than Tyrion. He's, you know, like mid to later 20s. 20s. He's not yeah. this old. Yeah. Um, you I know, think it's so that it, she's so young in the books. Is she my is issue. very young in the books, although the thing is she's, she's marriageable and she has had her period. She's a woman in the books. I mean, you know, she's not of age. 16 is still of age in Westeros, but... You know, she's, she's not completely off the table. You can understand in the books. I'm not defending it in any sort of modern day context. I'm just saying within the context of the books, you understand where it comes from. But yeah, I, I have no idea why they even tried to do this on the show. And it's funny, they didn't include like the cloak, which, um. No, yeah. You know, yeah. You know, I, I ship Sansan. I've never been a quote unquote Sansan shipper. I'm not in their fandom, but. Um, you know, the cloak is a really big deal. He leaves his Kingsguard cloak with her. It's bloody and dirty, I think, for the battle. And she, and she, she had it was under it. Yeah. She's like a has it, as far as we know, I yeah. believe. You know, she, she keeps that damn thing and it's important to her. And it is interesting that they would include the scene and remove so much of that symbolism. I'm not really sure why they did it, other than that probably George put it in the script and they were just like, fine, leave it. I, don't I really honestly know why. think that's what happened. I think George wanted to at least retain some of this scene. Uh, so I think that's probably why it's in there because you're right. They've essentially removed. What I think was the actual point of this scene in the book, so I'm not entirely sure why it's even. Yeah, and, and you're you are completely correct, Whitey, in that this is not a one-sided thing from Sander's side. There definitely is some sort of sexual issue going on with Sansa in return to Sander. There's there's definitely a vibe between them because she not only remembers this as a scene where they have a kiss, but she keeps this cloak that he leaves with her or throws on the bed or something and, and never lets it go. And she does refer back to him as a memory. She even actually the time. if she should have gone with him at this moment. So, yeah, yeah this is not something that leaves her in the books. Mm-hmm. There are um, two things I want to say about this, and then I'm, I'm done with this scene. But um, the first is I love I'll, – I'll go in reverse. I love that they kept the doll that Ned gave her. Oh, yeah. That that's the doll. I mean, she rejected it at the time, but I mean, it's like a sort of a link back to her father. I thought that was a nice touch. Um, and the other thing I love is, and this was the scene I was talking about earlier. You know, it's like she sort of sees Cersei's not being a leader in any way or being an inspiration to these women. And she sort of, I think this is her kind of rejecting what Cersei's told her because she like gets the fact that these women are scared. 
And she's like, oh, you know, and she puts a nice spin on the situation. And whether or not it's going to do anything, I don't know. But, I mean, she at least gets the morale up. And I thought it was a nice way of demonstrating that, just like Tyrion, I think Sansa gets people in a way that I think a lot of the other characters don't. She kind of knows how to, I think it kind of parallels with what Tyrion's doing in a much smaller scale. Do you notice at the end of the scene she drops that doll? Yeah, she does. That's kind of like she a does. symbolic Some symbolism. Yeah. 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 I think we know what it symbolizes. Anyway. Looks like, yeah, let's Moving on. into it. <laughs> Tyrion and his men uh, exit the gate. It's not a horse gate. metaphor, Lord. No, I'm not no. going to go for it. <laughs> Tyrion and his men exit through the gates. They come up behind Stannis' army. It's a victory! They're all yelling, half-man, and then more of Stannis' men arrive. Stannis is still fighting on that one ledge he's been on this whole time. (laughs) Tyrion is in the thick of the battle below. He dodges an attack, gives a small smile to, um, is that, what's his name, Mandon Moore? Sir Mandon Moore. Yeah. He's a white cloak, of course, um, but in return for the smile, uh, he slices at Tyrion's face with his weapon. Moore is killed from behind by Podrick before he can harm Tyrion further. Go, Pod! Yeah. <laughs> Yay! In the, in the throne room, Cersei is holding on to Tolman. Uh, she tells him a story about the lions, stags, and wolves. And as she's telling the story, we see an injured Tyrion being held by Podrick. And then the ghost of Renly arrives with the cavalry mm. of Lannisters and Tyrell soldiers. Tyrion passes out. Cersei is opening the nightshade to give to Tommen, but is interrupted when Sir Loras comes into the throne room. Stannis is pulled away. The battle is lost. Tywin enters the by throne like, room. By like two men! Two men. Poor lobster. Tywin enters the throne room. Cersei drops the nightshade. He announces the battle is over. We have won. And that's the end of a really fucking great episode. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, God. In the books, I always remember that scene when when Pod kills uh, Mandon Moore that... I don't, I, oh, I'm not gonna remember the phraseology, but I know that Tyrion is thinking that, that it must be Jamie who's come to save yes, him. And he it's does. Just, yes. Oh. Yeah, he basically just, I think he, he says or thinks Jamie, and then, yeah, I, I remember, well, I remember, yeah, it's only recently read it, but that's heart. so, I mean, that's, <laughs> breaks, breaks your heart. heart. Yeah. Yeah. I to defend him, but Pod was. Poor Stannis. Yeah. <laughs> Stealing Gendry's moves. Away from this. He could, we could have had all dramas. We could have had it all. I was, okay, I, I was thinking, as I was watching this scene where Tywin comes wa- <laughs> waltzing into the, the, the drama, the uh, I was, how does Kama deal with this? Because it's like, <laughs> <laughs> but Tywin is like the hero, so how do you deal? Well, how do you deal with Kama? Tell us. <laughs> well, in my notes, I wrote Daddy's Home, but. Um, <laughs> She went from my beloved lobster king to like, hello, daddy Tywin. So quick. <laughs> Literally jump ship. This is, this is the beauty of having all these favorite characters. If you put your lot in, uh, with two people or one person, you're screwed. You gotta, gotta spread the love. Oh, no, gotta diversify. About status. Shit. But I no, I mean, that, um, I, I, yeah, that the last time, King's Landing was uh, sacked. It was by the Lannister army, and this time it's actually being saved by, by partly the by the Lannister army. <laughs> right? It's yeah, it's rich. Ironic. It's rich. 
you know what I love is how it ends on that awesome version of the Reigns of Castamere because yeah. it's kind of like nice book ending really because they started off well fairly close to the beginning with the uh, with Bronn singing that version as well. So it's funny because I normally turn thing, the turn the episodes off immediately when the credits start to roll, but I actually listened all the way through. Oh, that's adorable. <laughs> that was a good, good episode. Um, we were going to do some season five discussion, but I'm going to put a cork in it because we've already gone long. So let's just go right to the thank yous. YD. Uh, yeah, we have a couple this week from, uh, from iTunes. Uh, one is from D Nana, um, and it's entitled A Fun Romp Through Westeros. This podcast is a hilariously funny and often insightful look into the Song of Ice and Fire Game of Thrones world with most of the love emphasis on Jamie and Brienne. The contributors are opinionated and loyal with distinct personalities that lend a great mix to some well-covered subject matter. If you are a fan of Game of Thrones, A Song of Ice and Fire, sword fighting, in inverted commas, (laughs) and major J&B shipping, this is the podcast for you. If you were more into poutine, Daenerys, and hard-hitting analysis of what's going on at the wall, get over here. (laughs) That's great. That's hilarious. Thank you so much for that. Accurate. Accurate. Yeah, I can argue. (laughs) The second review is from the lovely Crystal Rose 29, uh, entitled Geek Girls Rule. Yeah. I started looking for podcasts that discuss Game of Thrones and A Song of Ice and Fire for us sullied listeners who don't mind discussions of spoilers, book show comparisons, and even fan theories. This is it. It is intelligent, irreverent, and doesn't shy away from poking fun of itself. Oh, yeah, it's a bunch of squawking geek girls <laughs> waiting desperately for Jamie and Brienne to hook up. They are far from perfect. How yes. dare you? What? <laughs> Excuse you? <laughs> oh, my God, they are far from perfect. They are Daenerys haters. <laughs> yeah, oh, let's represent. For each that other, and they makes have us more perfect. dirty minds. I mean, accurate. I've, anyway, they are my best new girlfriends. I highly recommend Aww, this podcast. Thank you. Gave me the warm fuzzies. Thank you so much, Crystal Rose. And that's it for thank yous this week, Lord. Oh, those were lovely. Thank you. They were. Um, so if you would like to send us a message, you can at close the door and at gmail.com. You can also uh, follow us on Twitter at door podcast. Uh, like and review us on iTunes, please. And uh, you can also follow us on Tumblr at closethedoorandcomehere.tumblr.com. And remember, we are looking for some Season 5 content, so if you have any questions, you can use any of those avenues to reach us. And that'll be it. Wow, what a meaty episode. <laughs> yeah. Okay, thanks for podcasting, everybody. And thanks for guesting Hi, dramas. Yes, yeah, thank thanks, you, dramas. dramas. Yes, you were it was awesome. fun, as usual. Awesome. Uh, to have you back, babe. Anytime. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Bye, guys. Bye-bye.